If you were to go on your computer and do a search of church fights, you'd find all kinds of them. You'd find videos of people hitting each other with Bibles. You'd hear people yelling at each other. And some of you don't need to have the video to, to remember church board fights or fights in the church and arguments. Maybe people didn't actually hit themselves or others with the Bible, but the attitude was not one of love and respect and care. You know, on Sunday morning sometimes, there's a fight before church, is there not? Sometimes it's a kind of a low-level disagreement or fight, but sometimes it's not. And so this subject today of what causes quarrels and fights among us, it's important because I don't think anybody says to themselves, you know what I'd like to do this year is I'd like to quarrel and fight more. That's my goal. I've never had a married, a married couple come in and say, the reason I'd like to talk to you is because I'd like to get your help, Pastor, and see if there's more fighting and anger that could fill our home. That's what I'm after. Right? I've never had a parent come in and, hey, could you help me get my kids to fight more with each other? To argue more? Last week we talked about true godly wisdom that is peaceable, open to reason, humble, and displays itself in good conduct. And James also talked about this earthly, demonic, counterfeit wisdom. And he said the characters of that, the characteristics of that, are selfish ambition and bitter jealousy. Today, as we look at James chapter 4, where we're going to look at verses 1 through 10, we'll see that he's continuing on that theme of what it looks like to live a wise life that, that shows itself in our conduct versus in worldly, demonic wisdom, which really isn't wisdom, that causes all kinds of quarrels and fights. He says this. If you have your Bibles, you can turn it. Otherwise, it'll be on the screen. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? What's he mean by among you? You know about this. It happens in your midst, around you. You have an understanding of this. He'd written the epistle to the 12 tribes in dispersion, so but it's written to probably Jewish Christians, he's saying, well, look at these fights that come on among you. What causes them? I think we could apply that to our life and look around and say, what causes the quarrels and fights? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Here, here's why there's so many quarrels and fights. It's not the circumstances around you. It's what's warring within you. That, that's, that's where the issue is. We tell ourselves, if I could just be better understood, if my circumstances should just get better, I, I, I would live in perfect peace. But he's saying, 
What causes quarrels and fights among you is it starts with these desires that battle within you. Have you guys felt that? I was telling uh, somebody before the service, saying, James just humbles me in so many ways. It just seems week after week I'm praying, Lord, help me. Preparing this week for the sermon, and then just yesterday I'm in an argument, and I realized that my attitude stinks. You guys get in any of those kind of arguments? You know what I realized is, long before my words stunk, my attitude stuck, and there was this warring within me. In fact, last night, before the sermon, I decided, I'm going to go, I told Paige, I'm going to go on a walk just, just with myself and pray and seek to center myself. Have you guys felt the warring within you? You ever feel that? I, I know I should be nice and kind, but I just don't really feel like it today. I actually had an experience at the church I worked at before here. We had these shirts, and they had the church name on the front and the back. It had Jesus is Lord or, or believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. I can't remember the exact saying on the back. But anyway, I remember it was a day off from church, and I went into the closet, and that shirt was clean, and I said to myself, <clears throat> I don't feel like wearing that today. It's almost like I thought I could get a day off from representing Christ. I don't want anybody to know that I'm a Christian or a believer in Christ today. I just want to have a bad attitude. Well, I was convicted that, that that's not the way to happiness and joy in our lives. Amen? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have. So here's the problem. You want something, you don't get it. Isn't that the problem? What do you fight? Because you want something, you don't get it. So you murder. So you say, well, I haven't literally killed anyone. Have you thought about it? Do you treat people like they're dead? Right? You know, sometimes people will say to me, well, I haven't done anything. I, didn't, I haven't said anything. In fact, I haven't said anything to my spouse in three weeks since they did that. So you basically treated them as if they were dead. Right? You desire and you don't have, so you murder. You, can't, you covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. Here's the thing that was interesting to me yesterday. Before I got in this quarrel, I spent no time praying about the circumstance. How many of our quarrels are because we want something, we don't get what we want, and so we panic and we try to get it in our own strength, and then we don't get it, and it just gets us more angry? You say to yourself, did I ever pray about that? 
Did I ever say, God, what would you want me to do in this circumstance? I believe many of our quarrels and fights come because we fear something other than God. He says, you do not have because you do not ask, and you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend on your passions. On your sensual, inappropriate pleasures, right? Nobody would ask their wife for money to go have an affair on her, would they? But sometimes people ask God to give them things to worship something other than God. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passage. You adulterous people. This is an imagery we get throughout the Old Testament of the people of God worshiping something other than God and it's compared to unfaithfulness in a marital relationship. Do you not know that friendship with the world, and this, this friendship, if you were to look at this term in the Greek, this, this friendship, this, this is a, a deep relationship. This isn't like your Facebook friend, okay? Or when we say, my friend, and we, we really don't hardly even know the person. This is a relationship. So you're having a friendship with the world. What does he mean by the world? When, when the scripture talks about the world, I'm not talking about creation and the earth. It's not talking about the people of the world. When John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world, it means the inhabitants of of the earth. The world he's talking about here is that that system that goes against God, right? It's very similar when Scripture talks about the flesh. It's not talking about the body. It's talking about the passions of our, our body that rise up because of original sin. In other words, we inherit a sinful nature. True? Our bodily desires should be run by our soul and our spirit, which are connected in union with God. But they get out of control. And so the scripture talks about the danger of the flesh. The same thing, the culture, not not just American culture or Peruvian culture, whatever culture, all cultures encourage us because of the sinfulness within man to do the wrong thing. Is that not true? Not all of that culture, but a lot of that culture will do that. That's why those who are successful in the eyes of our culture oftentimes do things that are dishonoring to God. Would you agree? Amen? So be it. True? So he says, Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the Scripture says he yearns jealousy, jealously over the Spirit that he has made to dwell in us? Now that phrase, I'm going to take just a moment here and talk about that phrase because in the original Greek there's some discussion of how we should interpret it. That's why the New King James Version, the King James Version, interprets it or do, you not, or do you think that the Scripture says in vain, the Spirit who dwells in us yearns gener- jealously? So, 
The phrase could either be that he yearns jealousy, God yearns jealousy over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. In other words, that, that being, he wants to see the, the Holy Spirit that dwells in us, right? Be center and God be glorified. It's about that. Or does he mean that the scripture makes it clear that our human spirit seeks after things jealously? Well, both are probably true, right? But I think my understanding is that ESV is right in its interpretation. That it, that it should read, he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. Now there isn't a direct quote in scripture, but I think we're looking at a theme in scripture. Perhaps Exodus 34, 10 through 16, which isn't on your screen because I added this morning, but I'll read it to you. Exodus 34, verses 10 through 16. And he said, Behold, I am making a covenant before all your people, and I will do marvels such as have not been created in all the earth or in any nation, and all the people among whom you shall see the work of the Lord. And all the people among whom you shall see the works of the Lord, for it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. Observe what I command you this day. Behold, I will drive out before you the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. A lot of sites will drive out. And take care lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land to which you go, lest it become a snare in your midst. You shall tear down their altars and break their pillars and cut down their ashram. For you shall worship no other God, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land. And when they whore after their gods and sacrifice to their gods, and you are invited, you eat of his sacrifice, and you take of their daughters for your sons, and their daughters whore after their gods and make your sons whore after their gods. So this is a warning in Exodus that's saying, look, God is jealous, and that word has caught up people, and there's some great writing on it, and I can get you some more articles if you would like to look at that. But the jealousy of God is not like the jealousy of man. It doesn't come out of his insecurities or insufficiencies, right? But God seeks that we put no other God before him, that we make him the ultimate, that we live for his glory. Somebody said, well, why is that wrong if I do that? but not wrong for God to live for his own glory. Well, it's kind of a simple answer, really. You're not God. Right? And here's the thing, that, that if I jealously live so everybody would make much of me, my life is going to be more miserable, and the lives of everybody else is going to be more miserable. Right? But when we all worship God, when we lift high the name of God, my life is better, and the life of those around me is better. Amen? It's because God wants what's best for us, and what's best for us is that we worship Him and lift His name high, because He is the greatest, right? You know, you could go into your doctor and say, how come you get to write a prescription and I don't? Well, that's not a perfect example because I know doctors aren't perfect and so forth. But probably because they're a doctor, right? 
if I go down, I've said this before, if I go down and have a, on the ground right now in cardiac arrest, I want people who know what they're doing coming to help me, right? And if somebody who doesn't have any idea what they're doing comes to help and someone else says, you don't know what you're doing, let me do it. I don't think that's selfish. I think that's right. And when God says, let everybody else out of the way, I am God. Don't worship anything else as God. Worship me. I am God. Amen? I believe that's, that's the right understanding because as we continue on on James, James 4, verses 6, he says, but he gives more grace. In other words, yeah, yeah, but, but, but you don't understand. How, how, how. Don't think of God as jealous in the sense that he's going to zap us. Think of it. It's good for us that he wants his name to be lifted high. Amen? We get a little taste of this in human relationships, right? If your spouse said, oh, I don't care, you know, go have an affair with whoever you want. It doesn't really bother me. That's probably not the person you're looking for for the relationship, right? But God is gracious. And that's important. That means unmerited favor. That means that we're all guilty of putting other things before God as more important than God. And we all need His grace and mercy. Amen? But He gives more grace, therefore it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Now, I don't know about you, but that makes it pretty important to seek humility. Amen? Submit yourself therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will free, flee from you. Some people will say resist the devil and he'll flee from you, but it doesn't say that. It says submit yourself to God and then resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. So, submit yourself to God. Resist the devil. He's already told us that the, the, the wisdom of this world, worldly wisdom, is demonic. Resist the devil by submitting to God. Draw near to God. This is, this is the language of ceremony cleansing. By God's grace, draw near to God. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts. Don't be double-minded. In other words, don't be partially going after other gods and partially after the true God. And then he says this, be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. These are all Arist imperatives if you're into language. So they're commands. Do this, do this, do this. Right? It's not the ending point. The ending point is verse 10. Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will exalt you. It's not that you're supposed to mourn forever. This doesn't contradict rejoice in the Lord. But here's what I would say to you. In American culture, we have a tendency to want to rush and make people feel better. Sometimes it's all right to weep over what they did. Amen? So, the, the answer for us today is not just pat on the back, everything's okay, putting a band-aid on big problems. The fact of the matter is, as we speak, we know there's people, they're getting drunk. You know you, should, you need to stop drinking. It's destroying your life. There's people you know they're into pornography. You know you need to stop. There's things you're doing you know we need to stop, okay? And the answer isn't, it's okay. Don't worry about it. The answer is, weep over those things, but don't stay in weeping. Get up because God's grace is sufficient to lift us up and move us on to new things. I think there'd be more real joy in the church if there were more real tears. 
people say things like, God damn it. Or God damn you. And then they act like that's no big deal when they're calling on God to send someone to hell. And, and, I, and I get around that language sometimes and it fills my head and I realize it's not just okay. Amen? But we don't have to be afraid. We can weep over our sins. And you know what? If we humble ourselves for God before God, He's not going to leave us in misery. He'll lift us up. When is the last time you wept over your sins? When's the last time you went to your spouse or son or your child and said, I can't believe the words I said to you. I'm so sorry. When's the last time on your knees you wept and there were tears and said, Lord, I, I can't believe after all you've done for me that, that, that I would sit and watch that film. People are afraid, and we get to the points of the sermon here. People are afraid if that happens, we're going to be miserable. We will not be miserable people because God will not leave us there. He will lift us up. His cross is sufficient. Amen? Well, let's get to the points of the sermon. Uh, we're just recapping the things that we walked through as we went through the Scripture. Let's review what we've seen. Point one, the causes of fights and quarrels. First, point A, selfish desires that covet and, mur and murder. And I just put on the screen Matthew 5, 21 through 22. You've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment, and whoever insults his brother will be liable for the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the fire, of, to the hell of fire. Which basically is why we desperately need a Savior. Amen? In other words, the way we get out of that is not because we're perfect, but because we have a Savior who's perfect, and we apply His grace to our life. But it doesn't mean we just lay around and go, hey, I'm just going to keep sinning because I'm forgiven. Two, uh, point B, we saw prayerlessness. Why do we fight so much? Because we pray so little. Let me repeat that. Why do we fight so much? Because we pray so little. Passions for selfish pleasure. C, and then D, friendship with the world. We want to be cool. Uh, point two, the cure for fights and quarrels. Submit and draw near to God. And, and when I say submit and draw near to God, that, that means... A lot, a lot of ways in our actions and getting in our word and getting in Christian fellowship. But it certainly means prayer, right? Up our prayer. There are forms of anger that are, that are appropriate, but when we get angry or frustrated with something, we should pray about it and pray for the person. Amen? Okay, one, two, three, help, right? That's not our natural default setting. To resist the devil. There's a resistance. It's not, hey God, if you want to change it, that's fine. But when we submit to God, then we resist the devil. Uh, <clears throat> see, we turn from sin and we weep over sin. It's going to go together. 
And we humble ourselves because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And then be exalted by God. Don't stay in your misery. It's funny, if you do uh, the devotional by Oswald Chambers, Utmost for His Highest, it's, it's interesting because the one this morning is about what to do when you've blown it. And there comes a time, as she says, I thought it was a beautiful thought for this morning. You, you pray, about it, pray about it, and you get up and you do what God's called you to do. Amen? The, the way to make up for sins of commission, the things you did that you shouldn't, is, by, is not by sins of omission where you don't do what God has called you to do. Amen? The cross is sufficient so we can rise up. Uh, I'm going to cut short some of my ending comments, but I do want to say this in conclusion. Christianity that works frees us from the sinful passions that causes fights and replaces those passions with the delight and worship of God. We think that we could end the fighting if we could just change the other person or change our circumstances. But the truth is, what we really need to change is our worship. Did you catch that? There's a, there's a vertical solution to our horizontal problems. We need to see the truth of who God is, delight in the experience of God's grace, and rest securely in Christ. Jeremiah 2, 12-13 says this, Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked, be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. In other words, instead of going to God, they've tried to go to their own resources. It's a powerful verse to think about. It's called evil. I do, and Caleb's going to lead us in this song. I'd like to skip to the second quote I have, and then we'll go to singing together. I, I read an old Puritan uh, writer, and he said this. His uh, name, by the way, was Walter Marshall. And this, his language has been modernized, but he says, Do you want to be free from fleshly and worldly lusts that war against your soul and hinder you from godlessness? If you do... Do not just believe that gluttony and drunkenness and immorality are filthy abominations, although they are. Do not just believe that the pleasures, profits, and honors of this world are vain and empty things, although, again, they certainly are. Go beyond this. Believe that you are crucified to the flesh and the world, but believe that you have been made alive, raised, and seated in the heavenly places together with Christ. Believe that you have pleasures and profits and honors in Christ to which the best things in the world are not worthy to be compared. Believe that you are a member of Christ, the temple of His Spirit, a citizen of heaven, a child of the day, not of the night, not of darkness. Believe that it is simply below your royal estate and dignity in Christ to, protect, to practice the deeds of darkness. You do not need to give your attention to fleshly and worldly things. You have much better riches in Christ. Amen. This sermon is from Edgewood Baptist Church. You can find more information about us online at ebc-edmonds.org. Thanks for listening.